beginning is a very delicate time. Know then that it is the year 10,191. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Dune. You are about to enter a world where the unexpected... Many dangers exist on Arrakis. The unknown and incredible secrets have been kept on this planet. And the unbelievable meet. I see two great houses. Where kingdoms are built on Earth that moves. We have worms sign the likes of which even God has never seen. And skies are filled with fire. The prophecy which will cleanse the universe and bring us out of darkness. Where a young warrior Why? is called upon to free his people. A world that holds creation's greatest treasure. He who controls the spice controls the universe. And greatest terrors. <laughs> A world where the mighty... This is genocide. The deliberate and systematic destruction of all life on Arrakis. The mad. <laughs> I will kill him! I will love you forever. And the magical... Father, the sleeper has awakened! ...will have their final battle. Long live the fighters! Do not show the slightest pity or mercy! Emperor, we come for you! Doom, a spectacular journey through the wonders of space and the mysteries of time. From the boundaries of the incredible to the borders of the impossible. Now, Frank Herbert's widely read, talked about, and cherished masterpiece comes to the screen. Dino De Laurentiis presents Dune, a world beyond your experience, beyond your imagination. The following podcast features topics discussed by geeks or under the supervision of nerds. Accordingly, Geek Life and its producers must insist that no one attempt to recreate or reenact any of the topics or bad impressions performed on this show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of Geek Life HQ. I am your host, Justin with an I. I have some very special guests with me today to talk about something that Justin with an E and Matt could care less about. Yes, that's right. My co-hosts are not here today, but I have some different, uh, some different folks here to talk about a subject that we are all pretty passionate about, Frank Herbert's Dune. So joining me today, I have uh, some very special guests, as I had mentioned before. Joining me once again, I have uh, my friend uh, William Thomas Boyles. Say hi, Tom. How you doing? All right. And we have Joshua Adams. Hey, guys. Nice to be on here again. Yep. They, they're going to start recognizing your voice and um, your, um, your podcast, which I just asked you a minute ago. 
The Fringes. The Fringes, <laughs> yes. Horror and I listen to it, too. Podcast. Yeah, I'm on episode three, by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, appearing uh, as, uh, as a guest uh, for the very first time on the show um, from the Talk Without Rhythm podcast, Mr. El Goro. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Thank you again so much for, for joining us to talk about Dune. Um, I had asked a couple uh, mutual friends, who knows about Dune? And they're like, oh, yeah, El Goro. <laughs> yeah, El Goro. He's the yeah, Dune guy. You pretty much had me at Dune. I mean, it, I, I'm sure some people caught the name of my podcast as a not so sly reference oh, yeah. to Dune. It's yeah, it's it's something of a weird obsession of mine. Yeah, and um, and it's funny because the, in your podcast graphic, you you have the the worm right there. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I pretty much put it on Front Street right there. Yeah, you're like, this is what I'm about. So if you're into it, cool. <laughs> so. Um, Obviously, this is a big topic because the remake of Dune is coming out this year. It's got pretty much the who's who of Hollywood in it. It's it's pretty awesome, but I, I thought it would be cool to kind of talk about just some of the things that you guys like about about this world, like Dune, and, and there's any number of ways we can go about this. If you want to start out with the books, if you want to start out with the David Lynch film, anything like that, even, I mean, if you want to talk about the Toto soundtrack, I'm down for that, so... <laughs> You know, it's uh, it's really cool. But We're definitely um, going to talk about Toto. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, what about that? Just kind of how how did everybody come into Dune? Because like I know it's it's this big sprawling thing, but everybody probably came into it in a different way. So like that's, that's a great place to start. Well. Yeah. Well, why don't you start then, Josh? Where? How did you get into Dune? All right. So for me. It started with the movie, but or the David Lynch film, but not like the, the way that most of you probably came to that movie. I had a, an older cousin who, you know, back in the VHS days, if, if it came out on video, he had it. Mm. But like his his interests were really widespread. And he was the only person I knew that would track down like alternate versions of films on VHS. And he had this, it feels like, it seems like it was a four-hour work print of Dune. And he's like, he invited me over to the house. He's like, you got to watch this movie. And so my first experience with Dune was this enormous work print of the David Lynch version when I was like nine or ten. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it was so weird and it disturbed me, but it also, like, there was something about the aesthetic and it, it was... <laughs> seeing Captain Picard and <laughs> like, and Agent Cooper, you know, in, the, in that other contest. I don't know. It just, the word. As, as a 10-year-old, you were really into Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Weird kid. Yeah. I was a weird kid. But, like, I just, I remember being blown away by it and see, I had never seen anything like it. And then at the library, I came across the, like, this big, paperback edition is like the illustrated edition of the first book oh cool and, and i read that and the, just the artwork because you know, as an artist i responded to those visuals so much and like from that point on i was hooked like I, it was everything i could track down that was doing i was i was going after it oh that's so crazy how about you, Tom? When, when was the uh, your first experience? Uh, when the Doom movie came out, uh, I my mom and dad were divorced, so a lot of the things we would do when I was, you know, had time with my dad, we would go to movies. I went over, and I think he's he asked me if I wanted to go see a movie, 
And I asked, what's the movie? And he showed me the book. I think it actually was Battlefield Earth. He said, see that guy on the cover? It's like this movie. And I was like, okay. And we went and the line for it was like around the whole outside. So we didn't go then, but he did take me. I had no idea what, like what this was going on. I just was so young. I saw it as like an action movie. I think I was six or seven. Yeah, that makes um, sense. And yeah, I loved, you know, Patrick Stewart and stuff. And it's one of those movies I loved as a kid and just didn't understand any of it. And now looking back, I, I noticed about how the movie was so bad that the director took his name off of it. Like you'll see Alan Smithy <laughs> for a director. Yeah. And I watch it and I look at it and I'm like both horrified and still amazed by it. Like just... It has ugly parts to it for sure. You well, know, not as much ugly. It's like when he talks in his head, bits were like annoying. Now that I know the book and I've seen, you know, the miniseries and stuff, it, it he was a good Paul Atreides, but like just there were some bad mistakes. But I still think it was a great movie. It's one of those that was horrible but still great. And then that brought me on. And then when I started reading, I got into the Dune stuff. And then Sci-Fi Channel made the remake Dune miniseries, which I thought did a much better job of explaining characters. And also just the Children of Dune, I thought explains the whole storyline at the very end. That's the reason I love it so much. I'm not saying it was a great, you know, thing, but it just brought up all the subjects of like what Dune is about. They were supposed to keep going with the miniseries, but sci-fi was changing you know their and they have i mean they've they've shifted gears big time so and i mean this was 20 years ago at this point just about i think it's like maybe 18 19 years ago that was made Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how about you uh mr el goro there about your uh, first experiences with dune yeah, my experiences were actually very similar to Josh's, <laughs> as he was describing it. Uh, in my case, it was through my father that, uh, much like uh, Josh's cousin, he had an extensive VHS collection, all of it pirated. You know, he was <laughs> the bootleg king, just stacks yep. and stacks of these recorded VHSs. And um, I'm also a child of divorce, so... Um, uh, when I would go visit my dad on weekends, he would pretty much just leave me to my own devices in, in his uh, in his VHS collection. And one of these days, going through it, I came across Dune, and I had zero context for this. I was maybe seven or eight years old, and it was just like my brain getting blown open by what I was seeing. And some of it was kind of familiar. There were elements of Star Wars. I'd already been introduced to the concept of sandworms and Beetlejuice, but this was just something else, something weird. And the fact that I was watching it super late at night, it just instilled something inside my brain. And then later on, when I was spent full summer with my dad, I spent a lot of time at the uh, library and I came across the book. It's like, okay, it's, this is the book version of the movie. And it took me the full summer to try to, to uh, go through this entire book, which is not a very kid-friendly book. I think I was maybe nine by that point. But eventually I got through it and it just kind of stuck with me. And then later on, 
what fascinated me so much was when I discovered the legacy of Doom, all the various things that were in some ways inspired, not only by Frank Herbert's initial text, but the wealth of cinema that came out of Alejandro Jodorowsky's failed adaptation of Doom. I mean, one of the things that really caught my attention and really sort of said, I need to look deeper into this, is when I discovered how just how inspired uh, George Lucas was. Yeah. by Dune. I mean, if there was not Dune, there would be no Tatooine. And even elements of the Jedi were pulled directly from the weirding way as taught by the Bene Gesserit and the Fremen. This this one book, and then later on the, the film uh, version that Jodorowsky tried to make, it just sowed the seeds for so much incredible science fiction. And as I got deeper into it, I just found myself spiraling down this hole, so enraptured by Frank Herbert's writing. And yeah, the the over-the-top weirdness that came out of the David Lynch adaptation, which is still a movie I will defend as <laughs> for what it is. You know, there's a, lo a lot you can say about it, but um, I'm very drawn to the weirder side of science fiction. And I think that that movie certainly qualifies as that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, there's some really great actors and performances in that film. And maybe some of the things don't hold up, like the way that the shields look and all that. But, you know, it's 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 got good Dang. bones for a film. Sure. You know, I, I like it. I, well, you, you guys are going to laugh at, at my first uh, experience with Dune. I had a um, I had gotten a fade uh, <laughs> a fade action figure. Oh, nice. So and I'm like I don't know what this is and all that and and um, it's it's funny because I'm actually a really huge Sting in the Police fan and all that so it's you know I'm like what? <laughs> but um I, I had gotten that and close to me so I yeah I don't I won't <laughs> so I had this and I'm hanging out with my He Man's and my Ninja Turtles and all that stuff and it's like here's here's Fade and I'm like well, he's a cool action figure like he's bigger than a GI Joe he's you know he's he's smaller than He Man but it's like He's got that really cool blue outfit with like the with like the size. I'm like, what's this guy about? So my dad's like, oh, yeah, that's that's fade. Yada, yada, you know, from this. And my dad's a huge Trek fan. So he's like, oh, you got to check out this movie. So, you know, we went to the library and we rented Dune and we watched it. And I'm like, this reminds me of Crawl, which uh, <laughs> is, is funny because I had seen Crawl before Dune. And I'm just like, it seems like it's filmed the same way and all that. And I'm like, I like it. I like the effects and. It's very flash, flash Gordon, you know, so it's like they could be similar and at least they're kind of filmed the same way. But I'm like, this seems a lot more serious than those movies. But um, that, that was my entrance to Dune. And I always kind of liked it. And and I like Sean Young. So that's my big answer. <laughs> it's such a weird time. Like you had these hard R rated movies with like really graphic content. But they made toys yep. <laughs> for all these Robocop, yep. aliens. <laughs> it was like the McDonald's era. Like that was where toys, like they were making toys before a cartoon or something. It came, it's like, how can we get this out more? Oh, let's make a cartoon around the toy. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were like there ever, like ever any plans to make blood. a Dune cartoon, do you think? I'm not sure gonna, yeah, I'm sure somebody thought of it because they there were was at one point an animated series thought up, but it had never gotten off the idea plan. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, if I, you actually read about um, the making of the David Lynch film, I'm not going to say his name right. Jordan Aronofsky, the, the visual guy. Uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky. Yes, thank you. 
they showed what he wanted originally in the movie. Like he wanted the Harkoning to be very, um, I guess, sexual like, like oh, the yeah. buildings. And <laughs> kind of esque well, he actually got Giger to do all the designs. Exactly, yeah. The and the Harkonnen. So, and, so all to all of those very phallic imagery, that sort of uh, yeah. airbrushed uh, hellscape that Giger was so known for, that was the look that uh, uh, Jodorowsky wanted for the Harkonnens. Can you imagine if that would have been, like, it's already an R-rated, and you know, like, the kid, heck, we were all less than 10 when we saw it. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, what's he doing with his mouth? You know, some. The well, this is a this is a stuff. correction. The Lynch version got uh, got released with a PG thirteen rating. It was one of the first ones because yeah. it came out in eighty four, same year as Red Dawn. But yeah, yeah. I mean, but what, what kills me that even though it has that PG thirteen rating, it is a pretty heavy movie. And even if you remove the content, the pace of the film, the ideas of the film, they're not exactly ch- child friendly. A no, weird no. child like us will will respond to it, but you know it's not something that most kids are going to respond to in the same way as Star Wars. Like the, the fetus, bit, you know, with well, Alia being preborn. Like, yeah, yeah. What's that baby doing? <laughs> but they tried their damnedest to position this as the next Star Wars. It yeah. came a year after Return of the Jedi. It came out with a huge amount of press and tie-in merchandise, the action figures. They were convinced that it's like, okay, Star Wars is this thing. Dune is this megalithic uh, entity in the world of science fiction. We're going to out Star Wars, Star Wars. And then they put forward this movie as the one to compete with Star Wars. It was do you like it better than Phantom part. Menace? <laughs> I do. I mean, I, I yeah, honestly I, do. Yeah, same. <laughs> and what's bizarre to me is that you got a book that sold like 20 million copies. It's one of the most, like, just best selling sci fi novels of all time. You have a movie that was at least to some degree successful, and yet Dune is still fairly obscure. And there's mm-hmm. still a lot of people that don't know what it is. have never heard of it. You say it, they think you're talking about doom. Like, that's the one with the rock, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know what the problem with that is, is that it came out in the eighties, a time before the internet, a time before, um, like you were still calling people. Cell phones weren't even really there. So there was no real thing. So it made so much money because it was supposed to be on par with the advertising for star Wars. You had the fans and then they just like screwed it up, like to the like they wanted it was supposed to be a money maker, like, like you said with Star Wars and everything, like a blockbuster film it, or its something. Own saga would be happening. The toys got made, and then it. I heard even with what the guy wanted was going to cost uh, half a billion dollars or something. It was like a really high. Wow. Price. It was going actually, to be a, a tremendously expensive film. Yeah. The, the, they they actually had to get thing. rid of him. Yeah. Well, well like, that's the thing. I mean, he he took it as far as he could, and then just mm-hmm. the financing fell through because yeah. he was doing this as an independent production, and then eventually it landed in the hands of De Laurentiis, who handed it off to David Lynch. But um, the fact, what, what really I think kills Dune for it being the next Star Wars is that while on the surface it seems to hit all those beats. You have this young boy who terrible things happen to him. Mm-hmm. He rises into becoming a hero. It very On the surface, it's a very traditional kind of story. But when you dig into the text and you dig into what Herbert was doing, he set out from the jump to essentially subvert the traditional hero's story. Yeah. To introduce a level of esoteric philosophy into science fiction that 
that was the kind of stuff he was interested in. So it wasn't the same kind of pulp science fiction, Flash Gordon-esque stuff that Lucas and Spielberg would, would evoke with their own stuff, the stuff they grew up with. This was coming from a headier place. And while you can kind of sell it as being a traditional, you know, this is going to be an awesome sci-fi epic, if you do Dune right it completely subverts all of that. And we essentially see the rise of a false messiah who ultimately unleashes a, a great galactic, galactic jihad because that's ultimately all a hero can do when he gains that much power. Yeah, I just remember, like, when I read the book, that was the first time I realized that science fiction can actually be literature. Mm. You know, it's, it was, you know, there was religion, philosophy like you said there were you know so much intrigue and you know so much government in the book yeah you know, like there's so many things that you don't typically see in science fiction and it explores such deep deep things and even just the style of the writing it didn't read quick and easy like you know like a little paperback sci-fi usually does i mean it was like reading Steinbeck, if, mm -hmm. if Steinbeck wrote sci-fi. Yep, which is which is why I actually end up returning so often to that original Dune book. I mean, even today, it can take a little while to sort of get my brain into the way Herbert writes. But once you sort of lock in on his particular prose style, it is tremendously engaging with that initial book. And that's why so many of the actual lines from the film have managed to gain a greater prominence. I mean, people may not know Dune, but it's entirely possible through other sources they've come across the phrase fear is the mind killer. Right. Mm -hmm. And yep. it's just little things like that that have that have permeated the culture. They all kind of come back to Dune and they all kind of come back to, again, Herbert's pro style, which, as Josh said, is tremendously liter uh, literary in nature. But trying to translate that into a blockbuster, <laughs> good luck. It's one of those mo books that just, first of all, even if like, with the sci-fi miniseries like they had to do just one book and then like when it came they did children of dune and they actually did two books mm -hmm. and that still felt like condensed like it's it they were talking about doing a tv series for a while to try and do it which i thought would have been a much better thing but i think with lord of the rings happening about how they took it and you know, uh, the Hunger Games, you know, like at the end when they did the end movie in a two-parter. Mm -hmm. When they start doing that, that seemed a lot better. And I'm hoping with the new Dune, uh, from what I understand as well, we'll get a much broader story. I'm sure there will be things left out or things, you know, added. But I'm hoping we're going to get to do a lot more into the... I mean, it's 10,000 years in the future. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, it's 10,000 after it was 40,000 years, exactly. Yeah, so it's yeah. 13,000 years, and then it started, and then 10, and then from like that, it goes 500 years into the future. And so, this isn't something you can just like skip over. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and one thing that is great about the upcoming Denis Veneuve uh version is that they are planning on at least breaking it up. The fact that the first film is going to cover roughly the first half of the book. Yeah. Which is why we haven't seen all of the casting. I mean, they haven't even announced who's mm -hmm. playing Fade in this. There's in no this. Fade. Yeah. Not yet, because he's <laughs> going to show up later. And that's the, 
I could understand why Lynch would have tried and really it was would have been more of Dino De Laurentiis saying, no, we got to do this as one movie. But trying to compress everything, you lose something. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. while again, there is there is a lot of charm to Lynch's film and I really do enjoy it for what it is. As an adaptation of the book, it's not great. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking well, of you don't speed. you don't get to like characters in in the Lynch film because it's like they're in and if you didn't have Patrick Stewart there, you wouldn't really care about the character that he's playing. <laughs> and like Leto, uh, Leto Atreides, I don't even know. Like he's just there for like five minutes, and you have no build up to it. It's like why is he great? Because he saved one one spice collector. I'm like. Does his wife like him? Does she not? Are they even going to talk about like how he's supposed to act like she's the traitor? Nothing. I'm like, what? What's going it, on? Yeah, they kind you know? of left out a lot of the story of how Paul became himself. Like, Leto had actually a son and a wife before that, but then his wife killed his son in an assassination attempt. So that Uh-oh. was. Right now, but- you're, get, you're getting into territory that'll piss yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, I'll leave that out. But still, because that's, that's stuff that him. came later yeah. <laughs> that wasn't written by Frank. Yeah, oh, like, okay. So yeah. Yeah. I don't care as much for the expanded stuff. Um, I knew I should have left it out. Okay. No, no, it's fine. It's fine <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm actually one of those weirdos that has read every single one of those books. They're not, again, they're not great. <laughs> No, they weren't. Yeah. They they trend they turn it into more of a traditional pulp sci-fi. Yeah. That's the best way I could describe them. And yeah. they're entertaining in their own right. They're not what Frank wrote, mm-hmm. but and but at the same time, I'm not nearly as hardcore as some Dune fans that will just con- refuse to acknowledge that they even exist and <laughs> come down the throats yeah. of people. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> there's Josh. one. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think the interesting thing that I did in my research about this, I, I wasn't sure of like how everything started with the spice and all that. And um, the, the piece that they were saying, and I've not read all the books guys. So, but uh, the piece that they were saying is that uh, Dune exists in a world that is devoid of smart, intelligent machines. Mm-hmm. So, yes. so to me, it's like they saw Skynet coming and they said, no, we're not going to be part of this. So, I, I can only imagine that this was somewhat influenced by Isaac Asimov and all that in terms of Actually, his work. It was you're you're trying to go um, in a different direction. Skynet happened for them. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That had ha- what happened was is that we. That's got, why I have you guys here to. to... <laughs> yeah. We in the future we become all complacent. We're settled all around the universe. We're lazy. We let machines do everything for us. Oh, so it's and Wally. Guys come along and be like, yeah, it's Wally. I'm going to change these machines so they'll enslave you. And then the machines turn on those guys and become the machines Skynet trying to destroy humanity. That's when we overthrow them. We win them. And that's when it becomes where we will never have Skynet again. Yep. And that's and one of the try things and, like survive in this universe. Now that we don't have computers, almost we go out and we develop our minds and bodies on a genetic level, there were some elements of like Ixian technology. That's, I guess it's, con- you know, um, companion novels or, you know, side novels if you want, but we had to use our mind. We had to basically put a human into a starship so it could go across the universe instantaneously because we couldn't build a navigation machine, you know? And then like the Bene Gesserit, they started, that's how this whole thing started is everybody wanted to have control because they didn't want to be controlled. Yep. 
and it's and that, that was something that uh, frank herbert was very keen to introduce with dune is that he wanted to make a science fiction world that wasn't reliant upon traditions traditional science fiction tropes so at that time that meant no aliens or sorry uh, well no aliens no robots no lasers and that's mm-hmm. why they have the introduction of the personal shields and thus the mm-hmm. reliance upon uh actual hand-to-hand combat and also bladed weapons yeah, bladed weapons and everything. Again, a great line from, from the book, the slow blade penetrates the yep. shield. It's a yep. tremendously quotable book. I love that. But it's it was him essentially doing science fiction without being reliant upon the tropes of science fiction, trying to do something new. And, and he also did so well at it, too. Very much so. And fitting in with his own personal philosophy about the idea of continual human advancement that it is incumbent upon us to constantly be pushing forward and the ways that that can be done. And also the the means that certain organizations will do to essentially force humanity down Mm -hmm. certain paths, whether it be the path of the Kwisatz Haderach that was devised by the Bene Gesserit or also the mechanisms of control that is introduced by religion. Mm -hmm. Herbert was incredibly cynical about any sort of authority. And that is so permeated throughout all of Dune. Even when his hero becomes the god emperor, well, he becomes the emperor. The god emperor was his son. Um, It's shown as not a great thing. (laughs) As soon as you get to a certain level of power, corruption is inevitable. See, that's where I kind of am like a little bit on the fence with you about that. Like Paul, he, I think what happened was not only was he, like, so just so you know, um, you actually saw the movie anyway, but Paul was a generation early. Yes. So that was part of the thing. But Paul fell in love with Chani and he loved her so much, just like his father loved Jessica. Paul did not want to be the Messiah. He he did what he thought he was doing right. And then all of a sudden, like even Chani sent out the um, his Fremen followers and said, if you're if you don't believe in him as the Messiah, you're dead. And it, he just lost control. He never really wanted that. He never really wanted to be the Messiah. He just, he loved Chani. That was his ultimate thing. And that's when his son, Leto II, came out. And even he knew, like, he, he knew the full extent of, okay, you know what? In the future, humanity is going to die. It is going to die out from stagnation, from war, from this. You know, like, we're just going to get so bad. He could see every possible future and he saw what he had to do was, and this is like a comic book thing. And I thought where Herbert got it really good. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to be the worst villain humanity has ever faced. But because of that, I'm going to make humanity develop technology that is safe. I'm going to release control from any one person, organization or anything that they can create their whole future and that they'll also survive forever. Like he just had breeding programs. He did little things and he sacrificed his own body. Like he became a sandworm human hybrid so he could live this long. And I just remember one of the things at the end when um, I think it was the third book, just about how his uh, Ganama says he runs and he runs and he runs until he can't run anymore. Then he comes and he puts his head on my lap and begs me to kill him. Mm-hmm. Cause like this guy, he, the courage to do something like that was amazing. Like 
he saw the powers he had. He it's got the superhero bit, it's got the villain bit, and just but that was, yeah. that was the thing, though, is that Herbert, as he was introducing these things, he was also continuously finding ways to subvert them. Yeah. Because, you know, when you have the rise, the ascension of Paul into taking over Arrakis in the first book, then you have the realization that in order to, in order to establish uh, power over the Fremen, he had to become their messiah. Yeah. which was built in using the mechanisms that the Bene Gesserit had introduced, the Missionaria Protectiva. Yeah. So even their prophecies about the fated one to come to come and rescue them all that was something that was introduced from another organization mm -hmm. as a way to facilitate their power so he rises to power and then it's revealed that the only way to maintain that power is to continuously release his people upon the yeah. galaxy killing billions and then we see his fall then we see the rise of Leto and through children of doom and him uh, seeing through his perfect presence the golden path the way to set humanity free but by the time we uh, land upon god emperor dune there is the slight suggestion of well what if he's wrong and the idea that when you when you are walking the path of perfect presence you can see the future and you walk that path there is a possibility you're actually just locking in a certain future rather than allowing futures to actually fall, fall in. So there's every time, and that's one of the great ambiguities about Dune and you could spend, you know, days and lifetimes arguing and discussing it. It seemed that it lends itself to these different interpretations. Was Paul right? Was Leto right? We don't know, but that's one of the things that I really enjoy about it. Yeah, that's my favorite theme that he explored is the idea of, you know, and whether you believe in a God or not, just the theme of this idea, like if what, if a person became essentially a God, there's no possible way that a human being could successfully be a God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we look at like one of the things I'm writing right now, we're, I'm working on a pretty big you know, sci-fi project. And that's one of the main themes of it is this idea that, you know, you have this person who transcends and becomes for all practical purposes, a God, but it's still limited by a human mind. He's not capable of acting out that position and acting and, and doing that role in a way that doesn't destroy everybody. His will just overtakes everybody else. And I think that's what happens with Paul and with Leto is that, yeah, yeah, they think, yeah, there's a golden path here, and I'm preserving that, when in fact what they may be doing is just creating it and, you know, as they go, and maybe that isn't the only path, it's just the path of their will, and their mm -hmm. will is too strong to, to ignore. I love that. So with that, I'm actually going to bring up one, I, I know I said I wouldn't do the side books, but because you <laughs> No, said, no, it's fine. <laughs> he said, no, Josh did it perfectly. Um it's kind of theorized that Paul wasn't the Messiah. Then mm -hmm. it turned out Leto wasn't the Messiah. And then they, when they go further in the future and stuff, the scattering and all that, they said that uh, Duncan Idaho was the true Messiah because he wasn't just born and given powers or born with the powers. He had been a Golot. So he was being cloned. And cloned and cl for hundreds of years. Yep, a thousand lives, a thousand deaths. Yeah, so he was like he had the experience with him, but he still wasn't the Messiah. He was probably the closest to it, though. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that, and that's entering into territory that maybe 
it's entirely possible is what uh, Herbert intended. And uh, just to uh, open it up to Justin, since you don't have a background in the books, when when Herbert was writing his books, he published, um, how many did he do? It was six books uh, from mm-hmm. Dune in 1965 yeah. to Chapter House Dune in 1985. Now, Chapter House Dune ended on a cliffhanger. The story was not resolved. And for a long time, that was it. We uh, Frank Herbert died. We weren't going to see the end of the story. Then enters into the the picture his son, along uh, Brian Herbert, along with science fiction author Kevin J. Anderson. And the story they told, and again, there's going to be people that say this is complete bullshit, yeah. that they simply made up this story. The story they told is that they found Herbert's notes of what he wanted to do for the next book after Chapter House Dune. And they were planning on using those notes to finish the story. But before they did that, they went back and wrote some other books because they figured by the time the 90s had rolled around, people had forgotten Dune. So they had to reintroduce people to Dune. So they wrote these other prequel books to the story and then finally ended the Dune story with the uh, Hunters of Dune and Sandworms of Dune, which were ostensibly based off of Frank's notes. So that's why we, when the story of Duncan... It might be a Frank invention or it might mm-hmm. be a Brian uh, slash Kevin J. Anderson uh, convention. Nobody really knows. Some people are very cynical about what <laughs> those guys say. So nobody really knows. But to me, I think I, I actually do think that the path of Duncan is somewhat in keeping with it's much more in keeping with Frank's vision than some of the other stuff that feels more like the stuff that these guys just made up. That, that kind of stands out to me. And, and again, I'm not the, the laureate on this. You guys are. But stop me if, if you, um, you know, think I'm off base. But this goes back. If anybody's aware of like the uh, the, the English scribe Chaucer, and mm-hmm. he had something called the Canterbury Tales, yep. in which he would talk about like certain characters. And he would he would kind of have like a little sarcastic dig at most of them. But there was a few that would like they would kind of not have that that sting to them like the yeoman or the soldier something like that and that's that's kind of what it reminds me with duncan from what you're talking about on how he is kind of like this everyman where it's like everybody likes him and he seems to get by in in the movie at least from what i've seen it's like duncan is like the beloved character who Mm -hmm. could do no wrong so i'm like maybe he was really grooming him you know kind of like the han solo versus luke skywalker he's not the chosen one but he's the cool one everybody likes he's like your cool uncle so maybe there's some some credence there and the mechanism for duncan at least in frank's books i mean he was brought back as a gola a clone of himself be due to fan appreciation because when dune was originally published it was released serialized in i forget (laughs) which magazine before it was put out like omni uh, it was like it was more like weird stories or something like that. Yeah, it was one I think of the, one of the pulps. Yeah. Um, and when he was and when Duncan died in the serialization, the fans really liked his character. So Frank brought him back, and then he kept coming back. And then one of the reason, one of the things that Duncan has throughout the series is sort of that everyman quality, the kind of the voice of a regular quote unquote regular person who could essentially call the Atreides on their bullshit. Mm-hmm. especially when we get into God Emperor of Dune, where yeah, literally like Le- Leto uh... just keeps resurrecting Duncan over and over again and killing him and resurrecting him and killing him and resurrecting him. Yeah, in like the thing, he, he basically went up to Stilgar and challenged him and Stilgar, like, because of Fremen ways, took out his blade and stabbed him. Mm-hmm. And that like, was probably he... a Chris knife and he couldn't yep. return yep. it until it had found blood, right? Exactly. 
Well, no, he he he. Stilgar didn't want to get involved in the war. That this was the part, and so he kind of it's like politics, you know. Like we, the we know there's yeah. that out there. We know how to do something, but we're not. I, I I can't do it. It's it's the thing. But hey, wait a minute. You're a fremen. You're required by a, you know, like this pact. So if I challenge you and you kill an official Atreides, that'll bring you to war. And so he just stepped up and went like, hey, screw you, Stilgar. And then he stabbed him. And that's what brought him back. And that's what I, I, that's the greatest description, Elgoro, of Duncan. Like he calls them on their bullshit. Yep. Because that was got plot armor for days. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. That's why that's I think that's why they cast Jason Momoa as him in the new one. Like, Let's find the person that everybody in this country loves and make, and make him Duncan. Well, especially since in the original Dune, not a whole lot was written about mm-hmm. Duncan. So he, right. he just shows up and he's a badass. So you exactly. got to find somebody who is believable as a badass, but also charming enough that he immediately gets the audience's sympathy. And you're going to have a lot of women that go to see the movie just because he's <laughs> and a lot of men. I do. I remember I was, I was uh, in preparation for this. I was rewatching uh, Lynch's Dune with my partner, and I, I pointed out to her, "It's like, yeah, that, that's Duncan Idaho. Momoa's playing him in the in the <laughs> remake. It's like that's better casting than that guy." <laughs> yeah, like you saw him for like two seconds. He says hello, and then then he talks to uh, his father, saying, "Oh, the Fremen are fast." Then the next thing you have him, he gets killed, shot in the head. And no offense to Richard Jordan, he did the best with the material yeah. he had, but he's no Jason Momoa. He's no Aquaman. No, yeah, exactly. no Cal Drago. And, and there's some interesting casting choices in this, too. Um, Oscar, Oscar Isaac is going to be uh, Duke Leto, Atreides. Mm-hmm. Um, Stellan Skarsgård is going to be Vladimir Harkonnen. I'm looking forward for to that, that one. Um, Dave Bautista is going to be uh, Raban. Yeah, uh, the Beast Raban. That's going to be, and I mean, from the David Lynch film, when you see Raban, he is so disgusting yeah. and revolting, and it's like you you have to just be like, ew, you know, like everything about them is so gross. And now he's so scary because I I just got finished watching um what was it Army of the Dead the uh-huh. uh, right with with Batista and all that. it's like a silly kind of hackney quasi action horror film then you see him in dune and he looks so dead serious you're like oh someone gonna die mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really neat yeah, it's gonna be creepy man it is uh remember- Harvey, javier bardim as uh stilgar yeah. Yep. So, casting. yeah i mean oh, I, I remember when they were announcing it and it, it became a joke because they were kind of trickling out the cast members it's like so and so got cast it's like all right so basically everybody who's awesome is going to be in this movie okay pretty much and and of course, uh, I've been just chomping at the bit to see this film because it was supposed to be released last year, but you know, yeah. being at the, as they are in global pandemics, and then they keep pushing it back, and then it's half. Is it going to be in the theaters? Is it going to be on HBO Max? I think as it stands now, they're going to do the simul release in yep. the theaters and on HBO Max. Last I, I heard, I had read that they were going, they were not going to have it streaming on HBO Max. You have to pay for it on HBO Max. Okay. But so you can also see it in the theater. That is the, I'm assuming the final thing. I, that's what I read last, like last it's week. It's like what Disney plus is doing. So yeah. Yeah. 
So I it, it, it keeps changing. As big as I can see those worms. I think so. <laughs> Thankfully, <laughs> yeah. it's coming out in October. So unless there's a more savage variant of COVID that arises that's vaccine resistant, I'm seeing this in the theater. Oh, oh yeah, you too. haven't heard about the uh, the Arrakis uh, version of uh, COVID? <laughs> uh, it's uh, cinnamon scented. It's. Uh... <laughs> oh, I thought it was where you get worms. No, yeah, no, I was getting the there. mind yeah. killer. Yeah. I'm going. I will risk death to see this movie as big as possible. <laughs> he says fear it's is a the mind good killer. death. <laughs> it's a That's drug awesome. addiction movie, so the spice is like this whole thing. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the thing, too. It it goes into areas of addiction, but it's also like a clear analog to like oil and, and things of yeah, that nature. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's multifaceted for sure. Um, yeah. And just the fact that this was also hitting on themes that of uh, certain very strong ecological themes, which science mm-hmm. fiction at that point hadn't really touched. So this was, again, something that he was introducing. And again, the the resources that you're talking about, the uh, spice standing in for oil and how that fits in with the very Middle Eastern coded friendly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the language they use when they go to war, they call it a jihad. Frank right. was not being subtle with where, no, where, what wasn't. influences he was drawing from. And yeah, so there, there is a lot of different readings into this and coming as it was in the 1960s, where there was very serious discussion of using drugs in order to expand the consciousness. Timothy Leary was spreading acid around everywhere. Yep. There's a <laughs> lot of different test. readings. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it's it's not subtle either in this. It's it's so ingrained in their culture. They talk about it. It's in their food. It's in the air. It's mm-hmm. everywhere, you know, and. Mm-hmm. And then um, they can't leave the planet because if they if they were to leave and not have spice, they would die. Yep. Well, that was with the spice worms. They could not. Do you remember with uh, Sean Connery, the one um, Zardoz? What's that? Zardoz. No, no. Oh, no. I was going to say the one oh, okay. he's in the uh, Amazon. He's a doctor and the woman medicine man. Him. Medicine man. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing he says that they don't knock you out on eight. <laughs> is when he finds the plant, he said whatever it needs to grow, it finds up there. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, so it's like, it needs that environment, specific environment, and it needs those nutrients and everything. It's the same with the sandworms. They have to have that environment. They have to have that world. And every attempt to take them off and try and grow and populate them in another world just ended badly. Yep. Which is one thing about the Dune at, or the uh, Lynch adaptation that I was just like, oh, so he brings the rain to, to Arrakis. No, I hated Thus, that it would kill all of the sandworms. Right. Because yeah. Terraforming about- that planet would ruin what makes that planet valuable. Exactly. Well, I that mean, was you- the thing that he threatened the Emperor with. He's like, we have Fremen all around the planet right now with water on spice patches. And if you don't do it, we're going to do that. And it's going to cause the entire world to just go. Yep, that's why he was able to ascend like he did, because yep. he controlled the substance that the entire galaxy needed. You know, it was it, that was the thing that made the entire universe turn, was Spice. And he wrote this so long ago, and it, like, it, when you say about oil and Spice and stuff, it's just, he wrote it so well saying about this. He was one of those great authors who saw what humanity was, like, kind of becoming, and then wrote this story system, and just... He did such a great job. Mm-hmm. And for the movie, though, I, when you said Javier, or I can't say his last name. Bardim. Yeah, he's always the bad guy. I cannot <laughs> wait to see him as a good guy. <laughs> he's just like, he's <laughs> great. 
Yeah, he's uh I mean he's a he's a charismatic sort of uh character. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen him in, in a lot of different movies, not just the ones where he plays the bad guy, but obviously yeah, no, no country for old men and you know the mm-hmm. the was it a dead man's tide or something? The last uh Spectre too, the, the Yep, yep you know, Spectre. Exactly. That that was he was good in that too. Mm-hmm. But I mean he's been or in Skyfall, like, Skyfall. Yeah, yeah, Skyfall, that's the one. He, he's been in, in other stuff where he's just really compelling and he's got a great dramatic presence about him where yeah. he's he's soft-spoken and I can only imagine he's going to be mountains better than the original Stilgar mm-hmm. because I just, that's that's my my least favorite part is a, he will come to us and he will, he will dress and know our customs as his own. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, he's just literally like given this soliloquy over here and it's like, hi, I'm Paul. I'm just hanging out right here. <laughs> oh no, that, well, the, the guy giving that soliloquy, cause that was Max von Sydow. Yeah. And that was uh keys. Still, well, the, yeah. the still guard too. But um, yeah, keys, That's keys was great in that. Well, it's Max von Sydow, you know, you, yeah. you, you can't, you can't begrudge him. He's good at anything he's ever done. Now the original yeah. still guard was Everett McGill, the dad that, from yeah. people under the stairs. Yeah. Which you know what? If you're a desert, you're a desert people. It's not like you're going to go around shaving. That's just it's a nice sand it. protection. <laughs> I get it. You know, it's it's funny because there's notes of that character in uh, is it a uh, J.R. Mormont from um, uh, I can't think uh, Game of Thrones. He reminds me so much of Stilgar a lot of times, where he's just over there, like he's like, no, she knows better than to do this because, and I'm like, yeah, he's talking like Stilgar. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, no, the stone sickness. If it takes you, then okay, you know, it's like, and there's fun ways to do that, and and I I do think in Game of Thrones they do that in a fun way, but this one just in that David Lynch movie that bothered me so greatly. I'm like, I'm like, let him let him talk. You don't have to narrate it. Yeah, you know, it was. I mean, it was again trying to find a way to tackle Herbert's language, which is yeah, probably to be the the hardest because he does not write how people talk. That's yeah. not his style. And, and that's what I hated about the Lynch film is that when they did those voiceovers, like that's not what that's like supposed to be. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, and to Lynch, Lynch's credit though, he is very devoted to the people he likes to work with. I mean, mm-hmm. we work again with Everett McGill on uh, Twin Peaks. Yeah. And um, oh, what's his name? Jack Nance was in this movie from Eraserhead. Yeah. So he, he likes bringing back his guys, but not necessarily putting them in the parts where they would be best suited. I, I had written down. I, I was like watching the film, and I'm like, "Is that Brad Dwarf?" Yeah. And then, and then um, I'm like, <laughs> "Is great. that the German guy from Monster Squad?" It, it was. <laughs> yep. I couldn't. I couldn't remember his name. You probably know his name, El Goro. I bet. Oh, um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I forget his name though. But yeah, he was one of the Harkonnens. Got to do the thumbs up at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he made it. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but uh, it's interesting. The effects in the movie were pretty decent. Uh, the effects in the sci-fi one, at least in the very beginning part, like the part one, not yeah. really great. By the time they got around to James McAvoy, and you're saying when he was uh, the crossover with the uh, with the worm, those were really cool. And yeah. there's shades of that character in his performance as the Beast in Split. Mm-hmm. When you kind of watch it, you're like, I've seen this before from him. Yep. And that's where I saw it. That's pretty interesting. And McAvoy did a good job. Yes, he did. Even in a bad movie, he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got to say, it's a, it's impressive to see that he really, he really kind of polishes up, and and uh, since then he's gotten so much better. But it's just like all the scenes that he was in, it's like, yeah, this guy's gonna be huge. 
Yeah, you could tell. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned Game of Thrones, but, like, there would be no Game of Thrones without Dune. I'm yep. positive you're I right. I say that, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, the I don't want to say there would be no Lord of the Rings almost, too, because... Well, Lord of the Rings came out before. Yeah, that predates oh, no, it. No, by no, I meant movie. Oh, like, the movie. Like, okay. Like they saw the what happened, and they look. They learned kind of like, okay, this isn't a movie we can tell, or excuse me, like a book we can just tell in one movie. Yeah. Peter yeah, Jackson valid, couldn't make this movie. I'd say that. That wouldn't. This Dune wouldn't be a subject that Peter Jackson could could uh, dig into. I don't think. And it's also too like I also think too it's it's finding the right like the right actor to play that character. And with Lord of the Rings, like, could you have thought of anybody else to play Gandalf? Like just an well, old they, man. Just they originally looks. wanted Sean Connery, but uh, Connery passed on it. I, I would not have seen. I, just I just like he passed on the Matrix. Yep, which is why he ended up doing uh, one of the <laughs> yeah. extraordinary gentlemen because he's like, well, these, these science fiction kids movies are doing well. Let's do this one. Oh, poor Sean. I, you know, it's funny. That's that's a guilty pleasure film of mine, The oh, League of yeah. Extraordinary I, I Gentlemen. Agree. Oh yeah, I, I will watch the crap out of that movie, and then I'm like, yeah, you got La Femme Nikita, you got uh, Sean Connery, you got um, you know, uh, Lestat the Vampire, you know, you got everybody in here. So I don't know. I'll, yeah, I'll that's watch a cool that. movie. Curiously enough, that that actor and I forget his name was it uh, Townsend? Yeah, the one that was married to Charlize Theron. Yeah, he was supposed to play Aragorn initially. Mm -hmm. Are you serious? Yeah, he had had to drop. He had to drop out like really last minute, and then it was the pivot to Vigo. But he was all set to be him. Wow, Vigo's so iconic in that role too. I I couldn't even picture Stuart Townsend doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. I didn't know that. That's great. That was uh, God stepping in and saying, I'm not going to let that happen. It's like, hold on a second. Did you see Carlito's way? Because we got a guy. <laughs> it's the like, literal deus ex machina. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually, that. that's one thing I really, uh, speaking of casting, that I'm really excited with uh, the new version of Dune is the casting of Timothy uh, Chalamet. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, in that we're finally going to get a Paul that is the age he was supposed to be. Yeah, Paul is supposed to be very young when this is all going down. You know, the book opens, he's like 14. Mm-hmm. And he's all of maybe 16, 17 by the time that he ascends into the, his, the position that he is. I mean, I, I, I really enjoy uh, Kyle McLaughlin, but, uh, but it, it's not exactly, it's, it's not the book version of Dune. The fact that this is most of it essentially be a child. Mm-hmm. It's like when I was watching the old, like the old Sony uh, Spider-Man movies. I'm like, why is Peter Parker? And why is he 30? <laughs> 30 year old in high school. Hello, another another guilty pleasure. You know, um, that number, that third movie, any part with Sandman in it, I absolutely adore. But um, it's not a great film. No, <laughs> it's, it's not. Every time film. Toby Maguire cries, I want to shoot him in the face. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever look at your screen and just go, Madib? Yeah. <laughs> Madib. Yeah. My it name has become a killing word. Bell. It needs Madib. Yeah, that's, it does. <laughs> oh, man, a, that's, that's great. Got a disease and the only cure is Madib. <laughs> <laughs> that's needs fantastic. more sandworm. <laughs> oh, look, man. I, I kind of like the sandworms, but you know what? I need a little bit more rhythm (laughs) (laughs) well put okay (laughs) 
So, so um, I, I guess in, in terms of this for, for the new movie, is there anyone that you could see Christopher Walken playing? The Emperor. I could see him as the Emperor. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a plot to take care of the Duke. <laughs> hey, I'm a worm here. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, so remember um, at the end of the David Lynch one when um, uh, Harkonnen, the Vladimir Harkonnen gets thrown into the sandworm? Mm-hmm. You can kind of have that happening, and all of a sudden, like Christopher Walken's face pops out of the sandworm. And says, hey, yo, come here. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got to look like he did in that movie Envy with like the crazy long hair. And, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, or from uh, uh, Batman Country Return. Bears. Oh, oh, Max Shrek yeah. movie. Oh my God, that his hair in that movie. <laughs> Man, I love Batman. I know we're not talking about Batman. Go Dirt. That was it. Oh yeah, that's a good man. Yeah. Tim Burton with no oversight, no accountability, unlimited budget, and unlimited cocaine created something brilliant you know what and that's why i love it it was tim burton that had a a still very creative point in his career that was just allowed to do whatever the hell he wanted and it's still such a watchable movie and that's that's why i keep coming i will go back to something like dune i know that um lynch himself is not a fan of this film Oh, really yeah even less so the tv cut which is you know the alan smithy version but it is still him. It's 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 fascinating to see him do or anybody that's this weird creative, given the reins of what's supposed to be a mainstream uh, blockbuster, and the 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 freedom to kind of do what they want of it. This is the closest he ever did to doing a blockbuster. It yeah. was a failure, but it was a glorious failure. I mean, can you imagine ever seeing a Star Trek movie where you've got somebody? Busting pustules on another person's oh, yeah. face, and <laughs> you mean like when Jar Jar androgynous <laughs> servant, and it's just so weird and gross. And, I mean, you're talking about Star Trek like, Insurrection right now, so that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah. worse puberty. <laughs> yeah, it's a gorge. <laughs> it's a great idea. We should let Worf have pimples yes hey, you, it'll be so her. funny oh like that or i'll stab you in the eye with a chris knife <laughs> oh. I, I love it yeah it, actually and um the 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 housemaid was also from uh, a lot of she oh was the, yeah yeah she was, she was in, the like, principal in um kindergarten cop yep and i believe she, she was, was on, on uh, Twin Peaks well. new orleans or la one of those i'm sure she's she's long past i imagine oh yeah, she's, she's had like a, a lot of stuff like, yeah yeah, but um, yeah, I hadn't even really thought about that. But of course, like Lynch liked to reuse actors, just like mm-hmm. uh, you know Tarantino and you know all all the others, like Wes Anderson, I guess. You know, all all these guys that like to use the same actors because they're comfortable with them it makes perfect sense. Yep. Yeah, especially when you have an idea of like how the character's supposed to be, and you know, like, okay, my the guy I've worked with on this, I th- I know he could do this character like that. You know, it's like. When you have that kind of relationship with your actors, you know, they become friends. It's it's not about casting your friend. It's about, I know this person and they could do it. 
Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you on that because I mean, after after reading that book on Jim Varney, you know, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, what roles would he have been good in? And mm-hmm. as like a Shakespearean actor, you know, there's there's other people out there that are like really good, but they're known for their comedy, like Diedrich Bowder, mm-hmm. another Shakespearean actor that you know, it's like, oh, he's the Drew Carey guy, he's the guy from Office Space and all that. But it's like you could put him up there, and he's doing Hamlet. So yeah. I, I, I totally agree. Tim Burton, another guy, like he's using Johnny Depp, like he's going out of style, you know, well, like and, with Patrick Stewart, you know, I knew him from Star Trek as the serious mm-hmm. guy. And all of a sudden, like I, I saw him in some other movies where he was a bad guy or a good guy, you know, but when he started doing um, American dad, and I, I just saw this other side of him <laughs> and I'm like, wow, he, he can play both roles. He can play a crazy idiot. And he can play the most serious character. And Did he you just, say he green has room? that range. Mm. Yeah, good range. Did, You're right. Did y'all say green room? Yep. Oh, no, yeah. I oh, didn't. My oh, Lord, you green room. Man, you want to see a different side of, of that actor. I saw Conspiracy Theory, where he got his nose bit by Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah. Uh, Patrick Stewart is terrifying in green room. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I will yeah. definitely check that out. I mean, he's, yeah. he's, he's, a, he's the head of a neo-Nazi gang. You know, he's he's terrifying. It's funny. We should mention that as of recording this yesterday was Captain Picard Day. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And see, as, as much as Dune is, <laughs> as Dune is your guys thing, uh, Star Trek is very much mine. So that's no, fair. I'm a, big, I'm a I'm a big Star Trek fan, too. So. That, that'll be we'll another episode. See, yeah. see, I'm the weirdo. I never, I never went after like the the uh, the really popular sci-fi because I'm the guy who likes, uh, as some people are to Star Wars and Star Trek. I am to Dune and Alien. So uh, <laughs> I'm just. The I weirdo. thought you were going to say Red oh, Dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> Alien, like, okay. <laughs> Alien is probably my favorite movie of all time. Beautiful. Wow. It's probably my all-time favorite film. I watch it multiple times a year. I, I. And I like the, I like aliens and I like some of the others, but that that original alien is like it's it's my number one favorite film of all time, yep. followed closely by the thing. And oh, another, and another film another film that has its roots in Dune. Yeah, and, I mean, if yeah. you've ever seen that excellent documentary, Jodorowsky's Dune, talking about the dissolution of that film project yep. and all the different films that it inspired because Dan O'Bannon was brought in as the special effects guy on uh, Jodorowsky's Dune because of the work he did with Carpenter on Dark Star. After that ended, he went into a terrible depression. And during that, he wrote the script for Star Beast, which became Alien. And it was his working on Dune that brought in uh, Giger to the project because he had seen what Giger had done for Jodorowsky. So it's all, again, all these little things that uh, permeate into so, so much of the stuff that I love. In many ways, they can be traced back to Dune. And you didn't even know. Yeah, I didn't know. For the longest time, I did not know. <laughs> I just want to ask you guys one question. Yeah. You know, with a lot of, like, movies that get remade like this, there will be times that you will actually see a previous actor come back in a very, like, just an on-screen role for, like, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, what do you guys think? Is there anyone that they could bring on as some little thing in the new movie? Like, maybe having Patrick Stewart in there as, like, this... I'd like to think that any in any movie, there's a place for Kyle MacLachlan. You know, you could put him pretty yeah, much anywhere. You know, I mean, if, again, if they ca- if the, if they cast him as the Emperor, that would be an interesting choice. Oh, that would be cool. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, that would be neat. Why did you do that? Oh, yeah, didn't in my mind. <laughs> I didn't see a casting for the Emperor. Did you? He hasn't no, been done yet. he hasn't been cast yet. So it's still Son a question gun. mark. 
And you got to figure he's in the film, right? Oh, he is. Oh, he, he's definitely going to be in the in the second one because that's where the emperor is actually on stage during the the siege of um ah uh, I forget the name of the city. Anyway, the when when who he was back in? Yeah, he was Arakeen. Yeah. Okay. So I knew um, something. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so I hope yeah, they the, bring back Virginia Madsen. That's uh that's, that's my a hope. Good choice. So yeah. you know they'll, they'll throw her out there. Arakeen. I liked her in um. Pretty much everything I've ever seen. Her. She actually has less of a role in. Yeah, the she book. has no lines. <laughs> yeah, she has almost no. Like she was kind of brought in for the film mostly. So yeah, yeah I she mean, just with the series, she was brought in and had a much bigger role than she did in anything. But they they could do something obscure like Alicia Witt. They could bring her in. Um, that that would be fun. Hmm. And, and I mean, a lot of these these people. It's not that long ago that that uh, so many have passed. But they they could go with. Uh, I mean, Sting. That would be fun. Sure. Yeah. Big Sting there guy. were jokes about like he has clothes on. where he could play. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's like, I want to talk to you about Tantra and the rainforest. No, no, no. Just no. We're on Arrakis. We're talking about spice. Everybody, so, melange. That's what we're talking about. Sting. We're the Emperor's police. <laughs> yeah, and it's I, know, I, I, I think Sting can still rock that speedo. He looks still in pretty good shape. Oh. That's the problem. Is he could yeah, I can just make everybody. Can. <laughs> I got it. So we're at a big fancy Paul or uh, party for the Lions Red, where they all come in. There's that scene. Sting would be the band playing an oh. old like harp or something. <laughs> there it oh, is. See, there you go. Wow, uh, yeah. It's like in the Last Jedi when there's that little ball or <laughs> the little jar with the head singing in it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, if someone remembered Last Jedi. That's awesome. It's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't know. I, mean, I don't see i guys i'm a star wars fan but i'm a casual star wars fan i don't hate any of them i didn't like rogue one to be honest with you but like other than that it's like i casually like all star wars and yeah and that's, that's, even, that's where i'm at ultimately yeah, if it's star wars it. you know my my threshold for enjoying it is very very low yeah yeah uh, it's pop a lightsaber i'm probably going to be content yeah, like, it's, right. not smart. it's not a smart franchise like it's not something that i'm deeply like oh it's got to be a certain way as long as i've got oh, a certain aesthetic that's like with the mandalorian i've enjoyed just because it oh, felt so the old ones. yeah, yeah like when you say franchise, that's what it is and i was the biggest star wars fan like when the books the first book came out you know and it's restarted the series that's where i like clipped on and went for everything and then marvel bought it and i'm like no, 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 I'm going to hate it now. I'm not going to watch the new stuff. And it's like, there's no way I could like anything. But, you know, I actually like gave it a chance. And there are some cool things. I don't have to like every one of them. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look yeah, at The Mandalorian. Great. It created a whole new little uni- pocket universe. And yeah, it's good stuff. I think it's great. I like looking at um, looking at Tom's eyes when the reflection looks like he's on spice because they're all blue. I was <laughs> noticing that. Every but, uh, time you, see, you went to that, but I'm an anime nerd, so I'm seeing Gendo Ikari over there. Oh, okay. <laughs> good pull, man. Good pull. Well, his nose is bleeding. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Spice so going back to the Mandalorian here, we had uh, the the premiere episode of season two was basically an analog to Dune's. Yeah, I would say sure. Tremors, but Tremors obviously stole everything from Dune. But that was a complete analog to Dune. Oh, I yeah. haven't seen it yet. Don't ruin it. You are ridiculous. You haven't I'm seen waiting. it yet? For what? It's season two. Bob just gave me his code. 
Oh, you're terrible. <laughs> you better leave this this interview and go watch that. <laughs> I gotta ruin so much for this guy. So hey, I'm a cheap bastard. What do you want? Apparently. So well, any anyway, I guess we can't talk about it now, guys. But no, go know. ahead. Really? No, it's fine. I was just I was gonna talk about it anyway. It's totally fine. Yeah, well, anytime again, anytime that you're on Tatooine, you're basically on Lucas's version of Dune. Yeah, yeah. that that's where they made it very, very, uh, very, very close. Yeah, yeah. At uh, what did they call it? Some sort of dragon or something like that. There's a crate dragon. Crate dragon. Yeah, I know. Pat Patsy would know. He he. Uh, we're watching it, and um, I, I get like a like a text. He's like, "It's the crate dragon." And I'm like, "I have to look that up." <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to our He's buddy. Like, yeah, uh, it was a great dragon. Nerd. It was a real great dragon. Yeah, it was so great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was, it was wonderful but that's uh that's awesome so i mean um any other things you guys want to touch on maybe something that is uh just for the fans or something that that uh keeps you coming back to the books anything else along those lines i'm always oh man i'm i'm actually embarrassed that I, i'm i i'm sorry you didn't like children of dune I just found that ending. It's one of my favorite endings. It, it, it got just, better as it went along. I'll say that the, yeah. the beginning it, it, part it of it, it like is it wrapped rough. everything up, and just I had I had so much sympathy for that character from just watching that. Like I'd read the books, but seeing him play that just did that for me. And I'm really hopeful for the movie. I'm hoping they're not going to over commercialize it or make it like this franchise thing. I want it to be told slowly and, you know, right. They got their the action figures. Yeah, they really do. I mean, Denis Veneuve, I mean, between uh, Arrival and Blade Runner uh, 2049, I mean, this guy makes beautiful science fiction films. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that he can do it. If anybody can do it, it's him. And I'm really hoping that this will reignite people's interest in Dune because, as you mm-hmm. said, for a for a book that was so incredibly popular, the fact that it do- has somewhat faded from the consciousness, even though, again, its legacy can be felt in so many things. Mm-hmm. I would love it for pe- this sort of be, uh, you know, an awakening for a lot of people to get them to go back and read some of the books and see- to see more material out of this. Um I, I would be I would be perfectly content if they if Denis does, doesn't do a, try to adapt any of the other books if he just does Dune and just leaves it at that. But if they do decide to take on you know Dune Messiah and Children of Dune, if they can approach it with the level of care that it deserves, I mean I've al- often said that uh, the best way to adapt Dune would would be to do a Game of Thrones to do it as a series because yeah. there's just so much there. They are and, talking about that. They have, but anytime they talk about anything with Dune for a long, long time, it would always fall apart. And even oh, when no, they I'm finally had the movie done, they want to have the movie, and then they want to have a mini series. It, it's it's what they do a lot now. Is when they it's so big, like Dune or Star Wars, they say we're going to make a movie, and then we're going to have followed up with a mini or TV series, and then actors drop out, everything happens, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, I hope I hope it happens. I yeah. really hope it does. I mean, if nothing else, if it's completely terrible, which I don't think it's going to be, at least the books are still there. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it'll bring some people around to the books. That is ultimately my, my hope, and uh, the thing I will always leave people with is go read those books. 
You can decide how, how many of the books you want to read. It's perfectly legit just to read the first three. <laughs> you don't have to go past that if you don't want to. If you do, it's, it's perfectly legit to read the first six. Or you could be a weirdo like me who's read all 19 plus of the damn books. <laughs> Weirdos? With a new one coming out this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's, I'll, uh... Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave a an odd statement on uh, something that made a lasting impression on me is have any of you ever seen, you know, we were talking about the toys earlier. How many of you have actually seen the, the sandworm, the Shia Lude toy? Because it's definitely just a gigantic black dildo. Oh, God. It exists. I didn't even know this. I didn't know that either. I've seen, I've seen one from the eighties. Google search for a Dune sandworm toy. And it is an enormous black dildo with a mouth. Is it a? Is it? Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. That's the old, the old one from the eighties. <laughs> yeah, it's like the most obscene toy ever sold to children in the history of toys. Oh my god! It looks like a fake turd with a mouth. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's not even subtle. You know, it looks like the the remember the hundred and fifty dollars movie uh, where they he they crap the aliens out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, slither. That, no, no, it's the one where he the done it. I done it. I can't oh, remember. Uh, Dreamcatcher. Oh, uh, Dreamcatcher. Dream yeah, yeah, that's what it looks like. Doo doo doo. And a hundred. He lives up the street, guys. I, Donnie, Donnie Wahlberg lives up the street from me. So, but two towns away. So, <laughs> Wahlburgers, check him out. The Wahlburgers is good. We got one at Myrtle Beach. I have to try them. I want so bad. Yeah, tater tot fries, my friend. So they're they're um like uh, sweet potato tater tots. Not oh, bad. never mind them. Oh, okay. Well, sorry. I hate sweet potatoes. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, no Why one wants. Why am I it. so villainized? No for one wants that. you. <laughs> Tom, never getting invited back, Tom. <laughs> never it. getting invited back. I like sweet potatoes. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. You know, what if that's I the, you got that's all. That's all they eat racist. on Arrakis. That's why they're orange. <laughs> <laughs> it made no sense, but anyway. But anyway, controls I, the taters controls yeah, the universe. And, and that, and it, with that, Billy Bob Thornton becomes yes, the emperor. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Who controls the taters? Mm-hmm. Controls the universe. I like them spicy taters. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I, I got to bring this uh, this one to a close. I want to thank you for being here and. Um, hopefully i'll I'll get everything right here so uh josh if everybody um if they want to find you in your podcast the fringes uh where can they find you uh mostly on spotify or on anchor or um there I, i'm pretty sure it's on a few other places but spotify is the easiest place to find it yeah. definitely on um definitely on itunes so I, I know i listen to it there so yeah right and uh mr el goro where can we find your show Oh uh, yeah, it's the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Um, honestly, at this point, just do a search for Talk Without Rhythm. Basically, anywhere you can get uh, podcasts, you can find me. Except Spotify, I'm not on Spotify. But uh, yeah, it's a, a weekly movie discussion podcast where I discuss two movies that are usually kind of tied together by a theme. And uh, yeah, been doing it for a fair bit of time now. Yeah, what episode are you on? Um, just putting together episode 474, I think. So we're on the 11th year of the show. Wow. Yes, yeah. that's, um, that's amazing. It's been, it's been going for a bit. 
That's so great. And and I imagine you must have uh, done Dune on, on the podcast. I did. It was uh, quite a few years ago at this point, but uh, it's, it's one that I wish that uh, I would allow myself to go back and, re- and cover films again, because it was before I'd gotten really, really deep into some of the books. And so I was coming at it from a general fan, a general fan, but a very uninformed fan perspective. So I'm, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to sit and talk about Dune because, uh, it's 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 something that i'm very passionate about now yeah so thank you for that i'm super glad to have all three of you um and and, uh mr tom where can where can we find you if uh, people want to reach out to you on the old interwebs at home okay you're at home (laughs) that works (laughs) that's why that's why i like to leave you for last because you've got the most (laughs) to say so <laughs> uh, it, it, I'm always open for discussions. I don't have any podcasts. I'm not that brave. I yeah, also well, tend to talk way too much, so I think it might be best. Yeah, what the hell, man? That's no, ideal for a podcast, man. Yeah. It's the people that can't talk that make terrible podcasters. <laughs> yeah, it, um, I agree. There's there's three of them on this show. There's uh, myself, Matt, and Justin. Ah, uh, the normal on. the normal Geek Life HQ uh, guys. <laughs> But um, we'll, we'll be back next week with a uh, regular show. This was just a special edition to get uh, some interesting stuff that I like that they don't like. You can, you can check us out at Geek Life HQ um, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. You can check me out on my podcast, Epic Tales from the Sewers, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles podcast. And uh, you can uh, find us on the Epic Shells Facebook group. But uh, until next time, I want to thank everybody for being here. And uh, thank everybody for joining us on Geek Life HQ. Thanks, man. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, (laughs) it's scary.